I used to skip every other aid station, you know, even in the summer, you know, in a hundred miler. Uh, all of a sudden, I can't get to an aid station unless I've got a pack full of, you know, food and drink. Dizruns Radio, episode 1180, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, today's episode is sort of sponsored, maybe sponsored, supported somehow in part by the giveaway that I do each month. If you haven't gotten entered yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, apparently, you're just you're waiting until, you know, you don't need free coaching anymore. I don't know. I don't know what you're waiting for if you haven't done so yet. If you haven't heard about it yet, though, I guess you can be forgiven for not entering a giveaway that you haven't heard about. Basically, what I do, and by basically, I mean this is it. It's really simple. Uh, At the beginning of each month, I pick a person at random, or at least the random number generator picks a a number at random, and that corresponds to a person. Pretty simple. Um, Maybe just made it more complicated than it needs to be. I pick a a person each month to get to work with me for free. 16 weeks of coaching, nothing half-baked about it. It's it's literally the exact same level of effort, same plan. Uh, I mean, not the same plan as anybody else, but like the same the same structure as the training plans that are for sale on the website. You just get it for free. So we we go back and forth for 16 weeks, kind of helping to lead you up either to you know a race, maybe to come back from an injury, maybe just to get uh, some good momentum going, get some some advice, pick my brain, uh, kind of see what what a plan might look like, what it would what it would look like to work with me. Um, and then after 16 weeks, you're 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 all set to go again. Maybe maybe that culminates in a race day situation, or just kind of ramping back up from from injury or layoff or whatever. One way or the other, 16 weeks of customized coaching for free goes to one person each month. And if that sounds like something that might be of interest to you, you got to be in it to win it. Dizruns.com/giveaway is the link to enter. There's also a button right on the homepage of Dizruns.com. Either way, it gets you into the same place. And uh, like I said, the first part of each month, I pick a winner, and you can't be you can't be the winner if you don't get in it. And the odds uh, are never as good as they are today. So get yourself entered. Dizruns.com slash giveaway, or again on the homepage Dizruns.com. And also, just just FYI, you're automatically reentered each month, so you don't have to to think about reentering every month. Do it once, set it, and forget it. And uh, just pay attention to your email for that email that says winner winner in the uh, the subject line where I announced the winner. And maybe, just maybe, it'll be you next month. Uh, Disruns.com slash giveaway. Also, real quick before we dig into today's episode, um, just, just I guess, a warning. I, sometimes I forget to mention these, but uh, always, you know, there, there's a few four-letter words in today's episode. I would class them as very minor four-letter words. There's, there's no four-letter words that start with an F or anything like that. But just, just to be aware, you know, if you've got sensitive ears or if you've got sensitive ears in the car listening, um... Like I said, they're they're not in poor taste. They're not gratuitous. They're not anything like that. But there are a few four-letter words in today's episode. So be aware if that's something that might be uh, an issue for you or those that are listening with you. Um, but anyway, with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, y'all. Uh, my guest today has, has logged a whole lot of miles over the years, running all kinds of, of different races of, of varying degrees and distances and definitely deep into the ultra 
ultra mileage uh, events as well. Um, so lots of, lots of things to talk about there. He's also been involved in helping to make races happen, uh, helping to organize dozens of races over the past you know thirty odd years in in the Northeast. So uh, lots of lots of running talk. But today's conversation is also going to uh, venture into a topic that I'm pretty sure that we've never talked about here on the show, and that is snowshoe racing. Uh, because today's guest is not only a, a an active snowshoe racer, uh, but he also makes some snowshoes. Um, which again, something we've never talked about here before. So always, always love to, to know for sure that we're going to get to a new topic on the show today. So needless to say, lots of things to talk about. So let's uh, get the party started and uh, officially welcome Mr. Bob Dion to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Bob. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, looking looking forward to, to digging into some some things today. And, and y'all, if you enjoyed today's conversation, um, and if you want to want to get yourself some some good snowshoes for uh, you know, running and racing or just, or just getting out in the woods in the winter months. Maybe not for those of us that live down here in the South, but you know, y- y- y'all up in the North, y- you know who you are, where it's, where the snow is, a, is an issue. Uh, Dionnevitrek.com is the website. That's D I O N N E V I T R E K.com is, uh, the website of Bob's company. Uh, you can find them on, on Facebook as well. Dion snowshoes, D I O N snowshoes on facebook disruns.com slash 1180 we'll get you back to the show notes for today disruns.com 1180 links to to you know obviously bob's website uh the social medias anything else that we talk about today that makes sense to uh link up to we'll always do that as per usual disruns.com slash 1180 so bob the way we always start off each episode of the show is uh to ask a pretty pretty simple question i think uh and it's it gives us good launching off point to get into wherever we ultimately end up going and it's just to simply ask what is your favorite distance to race and why oh it's probably uh 50k uh yeah i tell people i'm a middle distance runner (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah uh 50k is great uh it's Similar to a marathon, except the marathon will really beat you up, where 50K just seems to uh, be a lot easier on you. In fact, uh, I'd much rather run a 50K race than a, than a marathon. Uh, the recovery is better. Uh, in a marathon, if you do anything wrong, you know, it's game over. Uh, you, it's just going to get worse. Uh, 50K gives you time to get going, time to uh, adjust for anything. Uh, and basically, a marathon with a long uh cool down at the end uh, so you can walk away from it uh, you know a lot better off in fact most of my marathon PRs are uh, during the 50k mm. uh, so uh, yeah it's, it's just a, a great distance uh, the other thing I found especially early on was marathoners and 10k runners don't go up to 50k the hundred mile runners don't go down to 50 K. <laughs> so, and if they do, it's a training run. So they'll run hundred mile pace in the, you know, 50 K. So for quite a while, I'd jump into 50 Ks and just kick ass. Uh, cause I'd treat it like a, you know, a marathon or whatever. Uh, but also had the endurance for a hundred mile. So, uh, it just, it was just a good fit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it always brings a smile to my face, and I feel like I probably say this every time. So people that are, are have been listening for a while, probably rolling their eyes, and, and uh, have heard this this before. But it's always it always puts a smile on my face when I'm talking to to ultra distance runners, or and I, I guess it could scale anywhere. Because you say I'm kind, you kind of consider myself a middle distance runner. Well, if you're talking to a track athlete, a middle distance runner, you know we're talking 800 meters, uh, maybe a mile. Uh, you talk to to 
roadrunners and marathoners and middle distances, yeah, you're looking at 10K, maybe half marathon, something like that. Uh, but then the ultra ultra community, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's just just a short, you know, just a 50k, no big deal, you know, just get, get training run sometimes or just a leisurely race. Um, but it's just, it's it's maybe it's one of the beauties of our sport, though, in all seriousness, of, about how you know different different strokes for different folks, and and there's different challenges at at each level, no matter what your definition of middle distance is. Um, it's, it's still a good day at the office and you still probably, I, I mean, certainly feel very much accomplished after getting out there and getting after it for, you know, whatever it is, a hard, a hard 800 or a, a nice, uh, you know, stroll through the, through the woods, uh, with a 50 K or, or whatever else the, the distance might be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, similar as I used to do uh, repeat has for training, uh, but they were half hours. Ah. So. There you go. There you go. I was going to say repeat, repeat half marathons. That's, that's a training run right there, but repeat half hours. That's a, that's, that's a little bit still, still a serious workout, but that's a little bit more easy to wrap, wrap my head around. So, um, what, what's your, uh, your background in running, Bob? I, I know from, you know, just even from the intro a little bit, like you've, you've been in the sport for a while. Um, where, where'd you get started? Well, it was at the end of the running boom, uh, or Which right, 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 right in the middle of it, uh, the late seventies. Uh, you know, it's where everybody that I worked with, Oh, I'm doing a 10,000 meter this weekend. I, you know, I'm doing, uh, so I said, you know, I, just, I had to listen to it all the time. Uh, so I said, well, I might as well try that. Uh, yeah, I was a gymnast, so it was, you know, quite I a different be, endeavor than, than yeah, gymnastics. yeah, quite a bit different. Uh, and, uh, but I basically would, you know, go around the neighborhood with, uh, with street clothes on, you know, and just, uh, you know, do run around the block. And, uh, but really early, uh, yeah, it's probably 78 or so. Uh, yeah, I started, you know, with the, uh, 10 Ks and, uh, you know, just basically racing every weekend. And, uh, and back then too, all the races, uh, virtually all of them were sponsored by beer companies. So it was really sweet because, you know, you do finish the race and you get free beer. So, so it was a, it was good times. Yeah. What's, what's not to love? I mean, I guess, I guess a lot of races, maybe not, certainly not all of them, but a lot of races these days still have some type of beer component. Maybe that's, that's one of those things that has never really left the sport. Yep. Um, you know, getting, getting into, to the running boom in, in the late seventies, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't mean to, to date myself or, or, or date anyone else, but that was, that was a little bit before my time of, of getting into, into running. Um, but, but I guess, I guess maybe the, the question is, or at least what I'm trying to get to somehow clunkily is how much different was the, was running, racing, the sport, the, the, the community, the, the like whatever, I mean, you can take it whichever way you want to go or, or however many different ways there are to go with it. Um, you know, different, different back then, which, you know, goodness gracious, you start doing the math, it's 40, 45 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to where, where we are in the last, you know, five, eight, 10 years and, and the, the running that, that we're more accustomed to today. Uh, yeah, it was quite different. Uh, there weren't trail races. Uh, if there were, they were, you know, cross country, uh, races or short. Uh, so it was roads, uh, and, and, it was pretty serious. There weren't too many recreational racers. Uh, even the back of the Packers were working hard. You know, they were there, they were there for a time, whether it was just their best time. Uh, but, but basically it was, you know, more head to head, uh, serious racing. Uh, even in ultras, uh, 
Ultras, there were some shufflers, uh, but basically they were doing six day races. Uh, it, the people in the 50 mile and 100 mile, most of them were there to run fast and hard and, you know, till the wheels fell off. Uh, the other thing is the clothes, the shoes, they were pretty minimal. Uh, you did what worked. Uh, you didn't have Gatorade or goo. Uh, the big thing then was Fig Newtons and iced tea. Uh, and then what I would do is like in a 50K or 50 mile, I would have regular mixed iced tea and then every hour double the sugar mm. and it would always taste the same uh so so there was a lot of crash and burn because you know basically people didn't really know how to fuel uh and also at that speed you know you were kind of you're on the, you know, you're on the edge the whole way basically. right yeah so but that was part of it uh it was uh yeah a lot more serious uh if compared to a trail race the trail race, if somebody's 30 seconds ahead of you or behind you, you're not going to see them. Uh, on the roads, everybody's, you know, either, you know, somebody you got to catch or somebody that's going to catch you. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. It sounds like, and, and maybe maybe I'm reading into it the wrong way, and if so, obviously correct me where I'm wrong. Um, I don't know if I want to say that. It, 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 I could see, maybe it doesn't sound like, but I could see it being maybe a little bit more um, or a little bit less welcoming back then. And, and, and again, I don't know, if, I, I don't, not that you said that, but just, you know, when it's, when it's racing and, and everything is pretty much like we're getting out there and we're getting after it, you know, to somebody who's newer to the sport or, you know, and, and again, you know, kind of like you even mentioned more like today where there's, there's plenty of folks that are out there, you know, still taking it seriously, but they're out there recreation. They're out there taking, you know, maybe not, not always trying to hammer it, not trying to kill it every time. They're not worried. I mean, they might have goals of trying to get faster, but it's not like, you know, a slow marathon these days is not a three hour and 20 minute marathon, which I kind of get the impression that maybe that was kind of a, on the, the slower end of the, of the scale back then. Um, so, so would, would, would you say that, that it was still as welcoming community as we feel like it is now, or is that something that's been a little bit, uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was, Kind of tough, and I was also the oddball uh, because I was the one. Yeah, I almost went right into uh, ultras uh, fairly soon after I started running. Uh, and back then, ultras people weren't doing it. It's just that I, I never thought of it as genetics, but I always thought, you know, I'm never going to run a four-minute mile no matter how how I train, but I can run 180 miles a week. Uh, so I would basically go out on my long run uh, when everybody else was going out for our 20 on, on Sunday. Uh, they would start, let's say, Brody Mountain, which was, you know, 15 miles away and run from there. Well, I'd run out to there and then run in, you know, then run to 20 with them. So, yeah, I'd be getting 35, 40 miles in on some runs with these guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, they give me a lot of shit, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't have to do that. And, you know, what the hell, you know, or if I, you know, grab a Fig Newton while I'm running, and, you know, oh, geez, he's eating on a run. You know, are you shitting me? You know, so uh, it was just a lot of attitude because they were 10,000 meter runners and, you know, and marathoners and, uh, you know, that. And, and also, too, is I... Basically, there was another guy in our area too, but the two of us would race two, three times a week. Uh, if there was a 
say a 5k fun run followed by a 15k we do them both uh and it wasn't like just showing it's just we'd like to do it uh but there was a lot of dns uh because we'd do a 50 mile one day and a 5k the next day uh <laughs> yeah but it's what we did and uh likewise my training was indoor track and i'd run every hour on the hour i'd run like a five flat mile and then run you know 7:30 pace or so for another hour then i'd run a five flat mile uh then my buddies would come in for their track workout after i'd been there a couple hours and you know you know just kind of like you know yeah they they think i was an idiot <laughs> so <laughs> so that's uh that i i mean I, 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 I guess, I guess if I'm, if I'm honest, my, my final foray into getting into running where it finally stuck, finally stuck, where it finally took for the, for the last time and, and ultimately led to where we are today, um, was, was running some, some laps on an indoor track. And, and, um, I mean, I just, I just, I guess I just can't imagine doing that for, for hours on end as, as a workout, like it, like doing your long runs on, on, I, for us, I think the track was about, uh, whatever the, the numbers were got, I think it was about five and a half or six laps was a mile. And so it was just like, you just be running in circles for, for the longest time. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where the question is going here other than like, that's, that's marginally better than treadmill running, I suppose, but still, mm-hmm. still tough to be running inside like that for that type of, of duration for me, at least. You know, part was the mental, uh, training of it. Uh, I could get into a 50 miler, and know that any point I could do a five minute mile uh, and live with it. Uh, but also too is the high miles. Uh, yeah, I think my highest mileage week was like 190 miles. It's uh, a lot of miles, it, Bob. Yeah, and uh, and I rarely ran seven days a week. Uh, you know, I always had you know a day off. Uh, but I'd run you know two, three times you know a day. Uh, or, you know, I, I did, you know, like 160 mile a week where I was just running single runs. Uh, but what I found was the single runs, you're gonna, let's say you ran 20 yesterday and you want to do, you know, 30 today, it's gonna be a pretty slow 30. Right. Whereas if you do two 15s, it's a hell of a lot faster. Uh, so you're getting better quality training, but you're still getting 30 miles a day. It also, I think, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, especially from from maybe kind of as as you know the years have have, have basically just as as maybe you've, you've learned over the years, and, and mileage isn't quite what whatever. But just um, I feel like for me personally, and and also me as as like I do coaching, that's kind of my what, what I do for a living, and my background is in sports medicine and athletic training. So I I got a little bit of the science side of things too. Um, that 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 one of the differences in that, and maybe one of the reasons that it's it's like when you break that, that longer run up into two chunks, um, you get that little bit of recovery. Like there's a little bit more, like there's just a little bit less pounding, a little bit less wear and tear from, you know, as you, as you fatigue, as your form breaks down, things like that, you start getting into that 20, 30 mile range. Like, you know, and, and there's certainly benefits of doing that once in a while. I'm not trying to say that, that all long runs mm-hmm. should be done that way, but that's not a, not a bad option in terms of, like you said, keeping the quality up, but also maybe saving a little wear and tear on the body and still getting the same number of miles in. And obviously you can scale that up and down to somebody who's, you know, doing that for a 10 mile and just get two fives in because that's where they're at physically. Or that's where their goals are, whatever. But, but just, just kind of curious on your thoughts on, on kind of the wear and tear factor of that as well. 
Um, yeah, definitely. You know, it's better on you know, your body. But another thing uh, that I found is if you're doing, say, a 20 to 30 mile run in the morning, by night, you know, or afternoon, you know, you're pounding beers and, you know, you're eating, you're getting ready because then, then the next day you got to do it again. Uh, if you're running twice, you're an athlete. Mm. You're not going to be pounding the beer because you got to run in a few hours. Uh, so you're always training. You're always disciplined. Uh, yeah, you still have the beers and all, but not, you, you don't go from one extreme to another. Uh, you know, it really levels it out and it's more consistent. You're, you're a runner. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's a good perspective because because yeah, if you know you've got that that next run coming up in a couple hours, you gotta you gotta be watching what you're eating, not overindulging, not doing all those types of things because otherwise that next run's gonna be maybe not even happen, or if it does happen, it's not gonna be a very good one. Right. You you mentioned um, a few minutes ago that kind of ultra running wasn't wasn't as much of a thing when you got into it, and and you were kind of the maybe the outlier or the rebel. I can't remember the exact verbiage that you used, but something along those lines. What, what, what was the, like, how did you, you know, I guess well, with it not being a thing, how did you stumble into it? And why was it such a draw to you to be more of an ultra runner than quote unquote, well, just a marathoner? You know, here's the embarrassing part. I thought I invented it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we got this mountain, uh, it's the highest mountain on Western Mass. Uh, I lived at the base of it, uh, Mount Greylock. Uh, it's 40 miles around the base mm-hmm. on roads and hilly. Uh, that was my every other week. Uh, long run. Uh, so I'd run the 40 mile and, you know, I'd have friends and stuff. They'd want to do a 20. So oh, yeah, start at Brody and I'll meet you there this afternoon kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, it was a good, you know, fast run. Uh, and then I even got some of the guys to, you know, actually do the whole 40. Uh, but most people just jumped in like halfway or whatever. Uh, and part of that too, you know, for training was we, I went by the Williams college track so, you know, 30 miles into it, I do a track workout. Uh, and uh, it, it was just, yeah, it, I was always mixing the, the fast. Uh, but anyway, uh, needless to say, I'd never heard of ultras. And I thought, well, if I could do 40 miles, you know, like I'm going to put on a 50 mile race. And uh, I thought that'd be like, you know, nobody's ever done that before. Uh, then I find out, you know, people start signing up for it and they've done 48 hour runs and <laughs> they've done hundred milers, you know, and uh, I got my ass kicked. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, these guys, you know, we had like national class ultra runners show up because there weren't many races. Uh, so people would travel. There was a bunch of guys came down from Maine and, uh, they ran hard. And then we got done. We all went out partying. And these guys were just dancing and drinking after running 50 miles. And I'm like, damn, I want to do that. Yeah. So, uh, but it was serious racing. Uh, the number of people that went under six hours in those days. Yeah. National championship, there'd be 20 people under six hours. And to give you an idea, I've only been under six once. Uh, so, uh, yeah. That's good. That's serious. pretty good. Six hours for 50 miles. That's, that's no joke. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot Goodness. of fast. Like I, I'm just kind of doing the math in my head on that. Like that's that's you know, you know it's about six eighteen a mile, I think, or six. Yeah, well, what what I my my best. Well, I mean, uh, and you just you just think about it, you know, because not everybody that listen is is as much of a ultra runner. Uh, no, ra- rather that was seven. It was it's about seven, 
yeah, it's been so long. Yeah. Uh, well, but just, but, I'm just thinking about it in terms it, of like even a marathon that maybe is a number right. that more people would, would like, you know, it's, it's not quite cause obviously marathon 26.2, but like, let's just call it two, three hour marathons back to back. Like that's right. That's but what people happen. do too, you know, what people do too is they'll look at say your hundred mile time and figure it out what it is per mile. But you don't realize is that probably three quarters of the way you were hauling ass. Right. But in the last bit, like for instance, when I went under six hours, I would walk five miles of that. Wow. You yeah. really and that, after it for... Well, no, I, I blew up after the marathon. I got, went, went through the marathon like 244 uh, and uh, blew up at around 35 miles, mm-hmm. you know, which I learned later, you know, like looking back, I've done that a lot. Uh, but I basically, you know, walk ran for, you know, the next to last loop. It was a five and a half mile loop. Uh, so uh, I kept looking back and I dropped to third place uh, from far out front. Uh, but then I got, you know, got it back together, which is great in ultras. You can do that. Uh, then I actually ran like sub sevens for the last, you know, five and a half miles uh, to get under six hours. But uh, but early on, I was looking at I was going to do a you know low fives and uh, you know it's like damn damn I'm good at this. <laughs> so, it's all, but, all well and good until uh, yeah, the yeah, wheels start to wobble a little bit and then yeah, exactly. Apart quick. It always looks good on paper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, you kind of find out if if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly that there that there are you know other people out here doing this these ultra distance events and some of them are doing it pretty darn ridiculous you know super fast like some some real real beasts out there um and question is before of of you know so that that's kind of your your i don't want to say your first exposure but but i guess when did when did ultra running start to look a little bit more like it it looks you know quote unquote today in terms of maybe not races everywhere but like you know you can find an ultra race with not too far distance from most folks these days and you know there's obviously there's ultra sign up things like that not necessarily when did we when did we get to that point but when did when did you know racing start to be something that that you could you could you know find fairly regularly and and not not feel like maybe you're inventing this new sport that uh actually has been out there for a while uh well the trail races started i'm guessing mid 80s uh and there were very few uh there was in our area, I think there was a, a series of like six. Uh, in fact, I think it was like four at first. And then I did my first trail race and loved it. And the people that uh, organized it uh, knew I, you know, I put on road races and all that at the time. Uh, and, and the 50, uh, so they're like, oh, you know, you ought to put on a, you know, a trail race. So, uh, so I started a 10 mile uh race up, up and down around on uh, Mount Greylock. Uh, and that was the first trail race in our area. And we had people like, there was a, a waiting line for sign up of, I think we had well over almost 200 people, uh, the first year and people in the clubs, our area clubs, uh, were kind of like, you know, Jesus, they're expecting, you know, like, handful of people and you know even road races you didn't wait that long to sign up uh so yeah it was pretty big uh and it was cool because what you had is the williams cross country team williams college uh and there's some fast guys there they got their ass kicked because <laughs> trail running especially that uh there's people that are really good on the uphill people are really good on downhill and there's people that are just fast uh so it's more of a triathlon 
So, uh, you know, going up the mountain, we had the uphill guys were all, you know, going like hell and hitting the top. Uh, then there was about a mile and a half of road and these Williams guys just dropped it down to like 430 pace or something. Uh, it was just cool to see. And then we got into downhill and I love downhill. So I'm going by these Williams guys and they're like afraid of breaking a leg or something. And, you know, and I'm just screaming down the rocks and ledges. And, uh, so it was a ball. It was just like, you know, so many things going on and it just kind of opened the area up. Uh, but the thing that was odd was that trail races that I had been to, there were no shirts, there were no awards, you know, like I won my first trail race and I get a handshake and I think I got a slice of pizza. Uh, when I did it, because I was putting on so many road races, I said, well, we're going to have shirts, we're going to have, you know, awards and all this stuff. And it kind of pissed off some of the other race directors because all of a sudden I'm like changing their sport instead of being a friendly, you know, people just show up because they want to run this trail. Uh, all of a sudden it's like, you know, there's going to be a first place, a second place. There's going to be age groups. Uh, so it kind of, yeah, yeah. You still see that a lot. You still see where trail races, you can go there and there's somewhere just really low key. You don't get anything. Uh, you know, bring your own, you know, bring your own everything. Uh, and then you've got the ones that are actually, you know, legit races with, you know, all the uh, time. Actual, you know, yeah, you're there for a time, but you're also there to, you know. Right, right. Do Do you think? And and I mean, I don't know if there's any way of really knowing for sure, other than I, you know, obviously again, with do you, Do you think that maybe that was some of the allure of of your race in that because there was a little bit of swag and there was a little bit of stuff going on that, that maybe that helped to draw some of the roadrunners to your race, which is why they're, you know, like to your point, the, the sign-up line was so long versus some of the other mm -hmm. races where, you know, even for the road races, it wasn't that many people that ran. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious if maybe that had anything to do with it or just kind of a, a, a yeah. coincidence. Yeah. I think is at the time, I, I, yeah, I still remember thinking that I would have been embarrassed to charge, you know, anything. And races then were like 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I would have been embarrassed to, you know, charge 10 bucks and give them water at the aid stations and that's it. Uh, and maybe some food at the finish. Uh, so it's pretty much, and that's, that race is still going on. Uh, you know, it's a half marathon now and a 5k, but it's, it's still low key. You get some really good food and everything. Uh, but it's not a fun run or, yeah. Uh, well, well, and again, kind of going back to what we yeah, talked about yeah. at the beginning with, you know, what, what is middle distance, but also like for me personally, I like the lower key race. Now, you know, I'm still going to like, you know, kind of like what you're saying, it's, it's still, I'm still racing. It's still not like, I don't want it to be a not timed event or something like that. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely down with a smallish field and not a lot of, of hoopla. Like, let's just get out there and let's go, especially if it's a trail race, like, you know, but, but even for a road race, like all that to say. You know, for those that want big over the top, there's plenty of opportunities for big and over the top. And for those that want the absolute bare bones, like no medals, no shirts, no nothing, like we just we have a time and we have we have a date and like let's go. Hey, you can find those too. And if you want somewhere in the middle, there's there's a whole swath of things in the middle. Which, you know, again, to, different strokes, different folks. But that's that's the beauty of uh, one of the many beauties of running. I think is that it doesn't have to be exactly uniform. You can cater to different groups of of runners. And there's there's these days, there's enough runners to go around, I think, a lot of times, at least hopefully a lot of times, to, to you know, make sure that it works out for, for every different type of race out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I've put on both types. You know, I've, 
the uh, in North Adams, I put on the 50 miler for years. That was, you know, competitive with awards. And uh, in fact, we even had prize money. Uh, but then we changed it to a fat ass, you know, 50. And right. there was no shirts. There was no entry fee. And, you know, show up, baby. just just show up and we'll give you a time. Yeah. You know, we'll keep we'll time you. Uh, so yeah, they both work. And uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, if you had people that like would have limited number of shirts and they'd, uh, you know, call up, you know, before email and all, uh, are there any shirts left? No, then I'm not coming. You know, <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, you, but, you can please, what is it? You can please all the people some of the time or some of the people all mm-hmm. the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. That's, that's yeah. for sure. Um, Whenever I'm talking to somebody who's who's worked behind the scenes at, at, a, at a race, I always like kind of there's like that one standard question I always have to ask, and and that's, you know, for for those of us that that, you know, have have loved racing, supported racing, been there, done that in terms of of participants, but never really never really gotten our hands dirty behind the scenes. Um, what is you know one or two things or whatever? I mean, as many things as you want to get into, um, that that maybe people runners participants in races don't realize that, you know, from the logistics to the planning to whatever it might be that, that goes on behind the scenes that, that maybe we kind of take for granted that like maybe we shouldn't take for granted because it's a lot of work to put, put even a small fat ass race together. Like there's moving parts, but you, obviously the bigger the race that you get, uh, the more, the more moving parts is. So I guess that's the question. What's what, what kind of stuff goes on that, that we participant runners don't have any idea is going on behind the scenes. Well, one of the things you'll see, uh, at least with our club, uh, anybody that's been doing our races for, you know, 15, 20 years, and some of these are really old races because, you know, I started them. Uh, you see the same people working mm. for 20, you know, to 30 years. And we're all pretty old now. Uh, so, it, and you're going to see start seeing less of those people just because they can't. Uh, you know, physically or just burnt out uh, that you got to help out. You know, it's like if you're doing a race, you know, just do one a year or something, you know, volunteer. Uh, the thing I don't understand uh, that I've seen change and I just can't wrap my head around it is how many professional race directors there are now. Uh, you know, I've put on, like I say, I've probably put on a hundred races uh, and you know, four or five of them are still around. Uh, all the money went to the club and it was, the goal was make enough money so you can put the race on again next year, have awards, have food, have, you know, uh, and it, it, it just keeps getting harder because when you've got, you keep asking the same people to stand out in the rain or the cold, and, uh, work an aid station in the middle of nowhere. By the time they, the last runner goes through, and those people pack up, clean up, and get to the finish. The food's gone, you know. This, uh, so it's kind of where you know you got to respect respect the people that are out in the middle of these aid stations and things. You know, they're not getting paid. Uh, but back to the professional race directors, I, I like club races. Uh, always have uh, small. You know, most of them are low key, uh, and you're not. I don't know. It just, it, it's totally different. Uh, yeah, some are great events. Uh, and for the most part, I don't think people care where the money goes. They don't care if their entry is going to charity. They don't care if it's going to the race director's pocket. They just want a good event. Uh, 
But I just was kind of shocked because when I was race directing at the time, I remember if I raced in California or any place, it was all professional races uh, and race directors. It wasn't the club scene like in the, in the Northeast. Uh, but even in the Northeast now, I think is way outnumbered uh, professional races versus clubs. And uh, so, so my thing too is also, if you can support club races, uh, do that. Uh, you know, yeah, do the professional races too, but, but yeah, these, these clubs are hurting. Uh, yeah. They got the same few people doing the work and there's nothing worse than having the people in a club put on an event, do the work. And then you get a handful of runners show up where the professional race across town gets four or 500 people at three times the price. Uh, well, and, and in my experience, which, which, you know, I mean, whatever I've run, I've run, I've run at least a few races in my day. Um, and, and, you know, whatever my N equals one is worth, and, and, and maybe you can corroborate this too, Bob, so maybe we have an N equals two here today. Um, but I feel like sometimes those those club-supported club races or those club-hosted races, um, because, I don't know if I need to choose my words too carefully, but may, at least in part because of the fact that they are runners, um, they kind of have a tendency, I, in my experience, to understand some of the logistics a little bit better, the things just function a little bit smoothly. The course layout usually is... is you know, obviously you got to work within the confines of your, your location or where you can get permits and, and close roads and whatnot. And I get all that, but I just like some of the real cluster races I've run have been the ones that are more professionally organized where it's somebody that's, you know, like you said earlier, it looks good on paper when you come to pay. Well, sometimes it looks good on paper in terms of like, Oh, we could run here and we could get people through here and blah, 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 blah. But then you try to put a few thousand runners through a small area and it just, it just backs up like crazy versus, you know, may, maybe in theory, uh, you know, those that have run a bunch of races and could kind of see that, Oh, this is not going to, this is not going to work too well. We're going to have a, a big log jam right here. So how can we, we fix that? And so all that to say, I feel like my, you know, again, and I've run some big races where I've had great experiences, but I just feel like across the board, I've never really had a bad runner experience with a, with a oh, small same, race. Yeah. Likewise, uh, trail marking. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you got runners putting on a trail race, it's marked. Right. Uh, True. because they know you know they're out there going slow and but they know what it's like when they're going fast uh you know what do they need for markings uh they don't put them up where you're looking down at your feet watching the rocks and the, the ribbons up over your head uh and just you know things like that uh but the, the other thing i want to mention too is at least with any races i ever done the number one thing with most club races the race director the reason that race is there is he wants you to see his trail or his course. You know, he wants to share that with you. You know, he's not doing it to make money. He's not doing it to, you know, you know he's, he's doing it because, you know, like Monroe Race, that's in my backyard. Uh, beautiful course. Uh, it's just one of the nicest. You could drop anybody from anywhere in Massachusetts. They're still in Massachusetts, but if you blindfolded them and put them at the starting line, they wouldn't know where they were. They would have no idea what state it was. Uh, it's almost like Oregon or, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just a really, you know, bizarre, you know, like old growth forests and views and rivers, you know, river crossings. And yeah, it's just a great course, but it's my favorite course. So it's like, damn, you know, I'm putting a race on that. Uh, same with Greylock, you know, I've run it you know, hundreds and hundreds of times and I know every trail on it. 
So like, okay, I'm going to take the best trails and put on a race. Um, goodness, I, I feel like there's lots more stories to, to get to, and, and I, I'd love to dig into more of them. But let's let's shift gears and talk snowshoeing a little bit because that's, um, I mean that's that's kind of where where you're at today. As as I understand, is that is that most of the race you do today is more snow snow uh, snowshoe racing, or you still you still get out there and, and mix it up on the roads and trails once in a while too? Well, uh, yeah, I was uh, racing right until, well, when I hit sixty, I got Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it just really hit me hard, uh, got treat, got the treatment, uh, went away the next day. Uh, about a year later, I felt kind of you know, off, uh, and I couldn't get up a hill in a race. Uh, a couple races, one race I was dead last, uh, and the ambulance was following me for five miles. Uh, I got done, and I was just screaming in pain. Uh, so again, you know, I had, you know, uh, Lyme disease. I got treated for that and it took probably two, three months till I could, you know, train. Uh, but then, you know, once you're over 60, if you lose two, three months, you know, then I start coming back. Then I'm getting injured. A year later, same symptoms, knew what it was. Uh, but that time it was probably over a year. Uh, and I just never, you know, after that, I, I do hiking and, you know, just, it's just so frustrating, you know, trying to, you know, get out, you know, between the age, uh, overweight, uh, out of shape, uh, and knowing that I'm either going to get injured or get a freaking Lyme disease again. Uh, it's just something that, and it's just not fun. Plus I've always raced to compete. You know, I never raced to for my health, never raced, uh, you know, yeah, I love running, uh, but I love racing. You know, I, I, I run to race <laughs> and, you know, if I can't compete, even age group or, you know, it's, you know, why am I out there? I'm not out for you pretty much. Yeah. I'm not out, you know, I've done thousands and thousands of miles, you know, uh, and yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll still go out, walk out and, then, uh, and hike, but, but that's kind of it, you know. Every time I think is, oh, I can make a comeback. Uh, the other thing that happens too is that if I wanted to run a decent 5K, even I know what I got to do. I don't want to. No, I'm saying it's just, you know, it, yeah, it definitely lost its luster. Uh, there's times where I'm out, you know, uh, on a nice farm road or something, you know, walking and it's so much like, you know, the memory of, uh, like Vermont hundred or something, same kind of course, same scenery. Uh, then I started saying, geez, you know, maybe I go back and run Vermont hundred. Uh, the last time I ran Vermont hundred, I was on antibiotics, uh, for Lyme disease. Uh, the hundred before that at 60 miles, what happened was I used to run hundreds. I didn't need a flashlight. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's dark, you know, when the sun came up and finished, when the sun went down. Uh, but the last couple hundreds I did, I had drop bags. I had flat, I, I didn't know how many batteries I was going to need. Uh, I used to skip every other aid station, you know, even in the summer, you know, in a hundred miler. Uh, all of a sudden, I can't get to an aid station unless I've got a pack full of, you know, food and drink and clothes and uh and I, I, this is probably 
the next to last hundred I did uh, a few years ago. Uh, at 60 miles, I was shaking cold and it was a November, you know, in the Northeast, you know, so it was like cold rain and fog and, and my clothes were five miles away. Cause I miss, I misjudged the speed and then the slower you go, the slower you go. Uh, so I'm out in the woods and I, luckily I had a friend of mine, you know, pacing me. Uh, but I couldn't, I, I was going sideways more than forward and I was in really bad shape shaking. Uh, so I ended up looking through the tree, hearing music and seeing lights and, uh, that way, you know, it's like, we went right at it and, uh, we crashed a wedding <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, one of the, I think it was the, you know, anyway, somebody in a wedding party, you know, gave us a ride to the finish. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just, you know, so different. Uh, so anyway, but, uh, as far as snowshoe racing, uh, yeah, I still uh, run on snowshoes. And, uh, and the thing there is that one is a slower pace. Uh, the other thing is there's no pounding. Right. So like if you ran a trail, uh, at least around here in the Northeast, it's roots, rocks, mud, uh, twists, turns, up, down, you know, everything. In the winter, there's it's like indoor track. Right. You know, it's it's smooth. Uh, rocks are covered, the stumps are covered, or blowdowns, you know, everything. So so you just run along, and it's it's comfortable. Yeah. Uh, if you went out on the roads in the winter and did a twenty mile run, it's going to beat you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go out on a twenty you know twenty mile snowshoe. Yeah, you're you're more tired. You're working harder, but when you finish an hour later, you can do it again. Uh, the recovery, you know, you get all the benefits and none of the negative. Uh, so, uh, and then by spring, you know, like with snowshoe racing uh, or training, you go through the winter. When you come out in the spring, you know, you're like ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How how much of a What's the right ways? How much of an acclimate acclimatization period is it to get used to being on on snowshoes? And and I will say I will say this: I've been on snowshoes before, but nothing nothing nearly as fancy as as what y'all are making. I, I grew up in northern Michigan and and uh, did some snowshoeing back in in my youth, but they were you know your stereotypical wood frame, you know, kind of the like size of tennis rackets on the you're bigger than a tennis racket really on on the, on your feet. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to like walk around in those, but I, I don't know that I could really imagine running in them, but like for, for the runner that lives in the Northeast that lives in, you know, the, the North Plains or wherever, where, um, you know, maybe that could really be a real viable winter training, like maybe even racing, but certainly like kind of a, a, a winter training option besides, you know, taking your chances with avoiding the, the snow plows running on the road in the wintertime, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult is it for somebody to, to get into a good pair of snowshoes and get out there and, and feel like, I mean, you know, maybe you're not going to be sprinting and doing hill repeats or something like that, but like I can get out there and get a good, a good workout in a good run in. Um, even if I've never really done much snowshoeing before. Well, uh, we've got guys that can run sub six pace on snowshoes. That's moving. Uh, so, uh, that's moving without the snowshoes, yeah, let alone with the snowshoes. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it's especially ours. Uh, ours are designed, so that you don't know you have a snowshoe on. It's basically like having an extra pair of socks. Uh, you know, the control, the feel, they're narrower than, uh, you know, certainly the ones that you had. Uh, but when I started, uh, about 25 years ago, I did my first snowshoe race 
and we had loner snowshoes and they were all different sizes, you know, backcountry. And there were some racing ones, but even the racing ones, uh, these big companies, what they did was, well, there's people that want to run and race in these things. So they just take a backcountry and make it smaller and, you know, call it a racing snowshoe. Uh, it's still clunky. Uh, so we had like four races, two weeks apart. And what would happen with those is they have a lot of movement side to side. And if you have any issues running, you know, form wise, uh, it just exaggerates the hell out of it. So what happens is we were getting banged up ankles, bruises, bloody. And after a few bangs of your ankle, you, you know, you have to start running weird or you just cringing and hoping it doesn't happen again. Uh, so people would actually like put duct tape and cardboard on the inside of their ankles and everything to make it work. Uh, so uh, after you know a couple of years, you know when I get into it more, and it went from four uh, snowshoe races to twenty. Uh, you're racing every weekend, sometimes a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, so uh, we made, you know, I started making snowshoes, uh, and mainly just for me and the, you know the people around me, uh, just to mostly avoid the pain. Uh, but also I thought, well, you know, here's, here's something that, you know, yeah, I did a lot of engineering and design and, you know, manufacturing, you know, small, with a bunch of small companies and, you know, like lab instruments and paper machinery. Uh, so looking at the snowshoe, I said, well, I could certainly make a better one than, you know, these other companies. Uh, it took quite a bit of doing, but I think right out of the gate, they were better just because like having a, a runner put on a, a race, you know, versus somebody that has no idea and they're just doing it for a buck. Uh, these snowshoe companies are marketing groups and, uh, and even the smaller ones, they don't use the snowshoes. They make them and sell them. Uh, so, uh, so our, our product was, you know, much better. And the other thing too, is I was in the race and if 60% of the people in the race have my snowshoes on, I'm looking around and somebody's snowshoe breaks or whatever, is it mine? Yeah. Uh, and if it is, what happened? Right. Uh, and so I get instant feedback. And the cool part was at most athletes, especially good ones, if they have a bad race, they're going to blame somebody or something. Yeah. It's, it's not their lack of training or this, you know, it's, oh, damn, I got lost because they didn't mark it right or, or my damn shoes or, you know, like something. Uh, nobody did that. Uh, yeah, and I, at first I thought, well, it's because I'm right here. They're not going to, no, they'll tell you. <laughs> but, uh, so so the, it was immediate feedback on the product. Uh, so any, and being small too, is we'd make, you know, 20, 30 pair. And if something wasn't quite make 20 or 30 more different uh, and just keep improving it in little batches. You don't make 5,000 of them and there you go. You know, I'm not, you can't go back to China and get another 5,000 by the weekend. So, uh, so it was good. And uh, it also helped the sport tremendously just because we bring bins of, you know, loaner snowshoes to the, to a race. And uh, anybody that, you know, is thinking about racing, borrow a pair. You know, uh, try it, see if you like it and, uh, try different brands. You know, most of those are pretty hard. You know, you got to, you know, find a used pair or something, but, but 
it'd be like me trying to do stand up paddleboard or something. It's like, I'm not going to go to Walmart buy it, you know, and then go out and find out I hate it right. because I bought a piece of shit. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's uh, one of the things that got me into snowshoe racing. Uh, so we make sure that we do as much of that as we can to get other people into it. How, how long has the the company again, it, y'all? It's it's uh, DionNevatrek.com. Um, how long how long have y'all been kind of in business? In it? I mean, I know you started putting them together a while ago, but like really to to where we are today, how how long have you been um, at, at this at this level of the business? Um, well, it started out it was just like in a shed in my garage, or you know, one a shed garage, one like a one car garage. Uh, we were in that. Uh, the year 2000, I think, or 1999, you know, we, we did our first snowshoe. Uh, then just gradually, you know, moved over to uh, Bennington and now Pownal. Uh, and then the Nevertrek brand was another small company. Uh, the thing with the Dion was we had backcountry, we had recreational, uh, but we're mostly racing, uh, you know, a big chunk of our business. But the recreational people thought we were a high-end racing snowshoe company and, oh, I just want to walk the dog or I just want to, you know, do maple syrup or logging or hunting. So we just couldn't get past the perception of we have other models. Uh, and uh, it even the backcountry models, they're serious sports equipment. You know, they're winter sports equipment. They're not Christmas toys. Uh, so uh, they function. And the people that buy their 25 inch, they go out every day in the winter for, you know, an hour or so. Uh, other people, they're runners and athletes, but they want to go up into the White Mountains or the Adirondacks and they've got their racing snowshoe. Well, they just got to get a bigger frame and, you know, go out with their buddies. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot of that. Uh, but the Nevertrek brand was recreational trying to get into the racing and uh it's a pretty good match it sounds like between the two companies it, yeah so once and the other thing that helped was uh we had some of our parts we didn't have stamping machines we had all the bending and the cutting and uh, uh they had the stamping machines but didn't have you know the bending and you know so each company had different machines and basically with the two together we you know, pretty much doubled how much uh, gets done in-house. So that's good. And it also helps, too, is because we could change things, you know, almost immediately. Uh, if we want to change colors, we want to change sizes. Uh, you know, we got the ability where we don't have to get three or four years' worth of parts, you know, of the same color, the same size, uh, just to, you know, get the price down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Um Goodness, and here's another area where I feel like we could keep going for a while, but at the same time, we're getting close to that hour mark, and, and you do need to wrap this up a little bit uh, soon-ish. But I have I have one more real specific, at least at least I think only one more real specific uh, snowshoe question for you, Bob. Um, you know, is this this episode we're recording at the beginning of August? It comes out kind of towards the the later part of of the month, but not quite peak snowshoe season for for I think most folks listening to this just yet. Like we're not we're not quite there into the dead of winter just yet. Um, but for somebody that's listening to this and going, gosh, this sounds like this could be a, a, a great option for me, you know, this, this winter, I, I know you kind of mentioned that you bring 
loaners to races and things like that, that could be a really good option for trying them out. But for somebody who's maybe thinking about like, I'm just going to buy me a pair. Um, what, what is the consideration for, you know, in terms of, you know, I don't know. I mean, sizing, uh, model type, you know, a beginner pair versus more advanced. Like, like what is, what should somebody look for if they're like, you know what, I, I think, I think this would be a, a fun thing for me for this winter. Um, what, what do I need to, like, where do I even start when it comes to buying my first pair of, of running snowshoes? Um, well, part, I, your weight is really not that important. Uh, yeah, uh, all the other brands, again, they're marketing. Uh, if you're a woman, they make a baby blue model. Uh, that's a women's model. And, uh, you know, as well, they study the women's, you know, all this. It's, it's marketing. Uh, likewise, with snowshoes uh, in general, they try to convince you it's a, like a canoe that you get a flotation and you put them on and you just go out right on top of the snow and you stay warm and dry and see all the pretty scenery. Uh, it's not that every, every snowshoe is going to sink. Uh, if the snowshoe's too big, uh, you're going to sink in and you're picking up all that snow every time you walk. Uh, it, it's basically like if you wanted to buy a bike, you couldn't buy a bike for your wife, you know, you know, what size is she, right. what, where, how is she riding? Right. Uh, even yourself, you can't go in and say, I want the blue bike on the wall. You know, it's like, uh, where are you riding? You know, what kind of riding? Are you roads? Are you trails? Are you, uh, is hills? So get what, what's going to work with those different components. Uh, with the snowshoes, we treat it the same way. Uh, you frame you want the smallest one you can get away with. You want to maneuver. You want to pack the snow. You don't want a post hole. Right. And if the snow, if you're tall and uh, you're going to be post holing with a small snowshoe because you're always going to be in deep snow, then get a bigger snowshoe and you connect the holes. Uh, otherwise, if you're racing, you get the smallest one you can get away with. Uh, there's a legal limit, you know, seven by 20. Uh, we push that limit uh, big time. Other brands, their small ones are short, but they're wide. So you're still going to bang your ankles. And uh, so uh, if you're uh, if you're racing, uh, go to a racing uh, model. And uh, even if you're walking or going slower, you know you're still. The difference between walking and racing is just how fast you're going. So, uh, you know, go small. Uh, the next thing is that we have three models that'll work. If you're back in a pack, uh, you can get the heavier, you know, less expensive. Uh, you're not going to win the race. You don't want to save a buck, you know, and go with like the 132 frame. Uh, most people, the 121 is it's small, narrow, fast. It's our best you know, racing snowshoe. And then now if you're 90 pounds, very competitive, you can spend the extra money to get a little bit lighter. But for some people, if you're 200 pounds, you're going to kill it. Right. You know, it's like, so you're spending more money for less durability. Right. Uh, some people will, they'll get the light one and only use it for racing, like with a bike or something. 
and then you have your trainer, uh, your beater, uh, for those days. Uh, Cleat-wise, we've got three different cleats, and everything's interchangeable. Mm. So, you know, I actually changed cleats during a race one time uh, on a two-loop race where I didn't have enough traction. I changed it and got back up in front. Uh, and people are like, oh, can you do that? And, well, we can. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, but the, the difference is that one's got very little traction, somebody shuffles or whatever, or if you're on hard, you don't want to know you got a chunk of metal under your foot. Uh, so the standard cleat, you know, low traction, uh, and then the deep cleat, just the opposite, you know, plenty of traction. Uh, you can climb trees with that thing. Uh, it, and it, it's like if you're running cross country in mud or something and having spikes versus a road racing flat, uh, the traction is gonna, it's so much less effort. And, you know, so I use the deep cleat all the time. Uh, but I kind of, if you hit a road crossing or something, you gotta respect it, it's aluminum. Uh, so go easy on it. Uh, but then and all around now is people, especially in the Northeast with the conditions are horrible most of the time. Uh, or you can have great snow and then a road crossing and then a bare spot, you know. Uh, so we have a stainless steel cleat. And that's kind of a go-to for a lot of people, just because if you need traction, you got it, but you got the durability and it costs less. Uh, and then the bindings, there's three choices. One's good for walking. Uh, you pull the straps and you go. Uh, but if you run or do anything sudden, it might loosen up. Uh, so least expensive, very basic. Uh, the next is secure, which is similar, but with a lot of friction and more, the strap goes back and forth twice so once it's on cinched down it's not going anywhere and it'll put up with you know anything sudden steep uh but because it's hard to loosen up it's hard to get out of right. so so it's everything's a trade-off uh but then we have a quick fit which is a special kind of uh velcro uh it doesn't hold snow or you know lint from mittens or anything uh but it's really aggressive it won't loosen up and with that one, it comes with the straps plus extra straps. If the straps are too long, too short, you take take it out, put it in the right size, and you're basically building a custom binding for you. So now you can get out of your car, go across the parking lot, put them on at the snow, close them up, go, get done, and you're out. Or you can run to a trail, put them on and go. Uh, so. So yeah, there's options, and again, it's, uh, and if somebody goes to the website, there's information, but otherwise, you know, call up or, uh, you know, call or email and walk you through it. Yeah, the, the beauty of working with a, with a smaller company is that, you know, when you call, somebody answers the phone, or when you, when you write an email, like, somebody replies back to you. So have questions, yeah. all that information, the contact information is there on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, so just reach out, I guess, is the moral of that story, right? Yeah, we get a lot of uh, people that put the order in and say, oh, whoever I talk to on the phone really knows what they're doing. Give them a raise. That's <laughs> <laughs> usually usually me. Yeah, well, that's, 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 those are the type of people that, uh, you know, yeah. especially when, when, it's the, when, it's the, when it's the owner, when it's the, when it's the, the head guy. You know, that, that's the guy to ask the questions to because he, he certainly knows. So, Bob, we'll get you out of here with, with one final philosophical question is what I call it. Just kind of a, a very general, open-ended um, kind of take it wherever you want to go with it. And, and we can, we can take it to, um, you know, kind of the, the running from, from back in the day, more of the snowshoe running these days or, or, you know, kind of wherever, wherever you want to land with it. But, um, 
I feel like for myself, I've learned I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about other people through the sport of running. And I, I feel like kind of like running has been this, this great teacher in this, in the last 20 years of my life, you know, kind of since I got out of school and all of a sudden running has been the, the thing that I've kind of continued to learn lessons from. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, have there been things that you've learned, whether it's about yourself, whether it's about others, both and um, that, that you've learned in the last, you know, 40 odd years of being part of, of various aspects of the sport of running um, any, any major lessons that kind of stand out and we'll, we'll get you out of here on that. Um, well, there's quite a few, but, uh, but, but basically, uh, if, if you're in the race, uh, a long, long time ago, my first, one of my first hundreds, in fact, my first hundred, uh, Western States, uh, that was the second hundred. Uh, anyway, Norm Klein had a thing about, uh, leave your ego at home. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I learned pretty quick, uh, that, you know, if you, if you try to attack the course or, you know, really beat up the course, it's going to kind of come back at you. Uh, yeah, I always had a thing where, you know, I figured go out fast and see what happens. So, uh, it took quite a while. And what I had to do to kind of get over that was, I was in my probably mid twenties. Uh, what I would do is either run with the first woman or run with a master's runner, uh, just cause they've, they've already dialed that in, you know, they've, you know, been there, done it. And, uh, and it really helped, uh, you know, it, cause now you're not just like going balls out and hoping for the best. Uh, you're basically, you know, just do what they do. You know, just, you know, they know what they're doing. Uh, and, uh, and after a while I got to where I knew what I was doing. So then people are probably, these kids are probably following me. So. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the, you're the master now. So we'll, we'll just run with Bob and let him, let him kind of keep us in check and then we'll, you know, we'll take off when it's time to take off. But yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's a good, uh, as, as always, I, I love hearing the lessons that people learn and, and feel like a lot of times I've, I've learned at least part of that, or I can, I can see that. And, and yeah, checking, checking the ego at the door is, uh, is a big one for me as well. So thank you for sharing that, Bob. And, uh, y'all, if you enjoyed today's episode, if, if you're intrigued by the idea of getting on some snowshoes this winter, uh, com once again, is the website on Facebook, uh, Dion snowshoes, search for that again, D I O N snowshoes. Uh, and, and, as always, and as, as you would expect, uh, links to, to the website, links to the social media, links to anything, you know, some of the races and things like that we talked about today. Uh, disruns.com slash 1180 will get you there. Disruns.com slash 1180. Click the links in the post to get you where you want to go. Get yourself a good pair of snowshoes this winter and get out there and, and enjoy it. I won't do that because there's not enough snow here in Georgia to, uh, to, mm-hmm. to make use of them. But if I was back up in Michigan, you better believe yourself. I'd be getting some, some good snowshoes and getting out there and running. But uh, Bob, thank you for, for taking the time today. I, I, I certainly appreciate it and, and uh, love hearing about, you know, some of the, the, the ways of running before, um, before I was into the sport and just kind of, you know, being able to compare and contrast a little bit. So thanks for the stories. Thanks for continuing to be such a, an active member of the local running club, putting on races and, and even, you know, kind of evolving it into a wintertime pursuit as well with the snowshoe race. And so thank you for everything today. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, certainly wish you nothing but the best going forward. No, great. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Bob and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was your, uh, say it with me. Say it. Just, just do it. Just do it. Just say it with me now. Your takeaway du jour. 
du jour. Uh, for me, it goes back to when Bob was kind of sharing that story of some of those early early trail races where there were there were some guys that were really strong on the uphills and some guys that could really bomb on the downhills and some I think it was the the track guys from the local university that were that were pretty darn strong on the flats and and how you know at different stages of the race different people really had you know their their strengths that kind of helped to to move them up the field and and things of that nature and the reason that that's the, the takeaway for me is that I think sometimes. I um, have a little bit of a tendency to focus too much on maybe on the areas that I struggle, you know, since moving to Georgia last year, uh, obviously been really reacquainted with running uphills and running downhills, quite frankly, but definitely the uphills and kind of, you know, being grumpy, being grumpy pants about having all this, this elevation that I haven't been used to over the last decade plus of, I guess, really just decade of being a runner in, in central Florida. Um, but I think that what I don't do sometimes is focus as much on the areas that I am strong at. And I do think I'm a pretty strong downhill runner, which is a little ridiculous coming from central Florida. Um, but I've always felt confident running on the downhills. And, and I really think that has translated pretty well up here where the downhills are more significant. But, uh, the point being that I think sometimes it's easy for me and and maybe for you, but certainly for me to focus on the areas that I'm uh, maybe a little bit of a short, you know, have a shortcoming, the areas of weakness, areas that are, are painfully obvious. You know, there's areas for improvement. There's room for improvement. And while I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to shore up some of those weak links, trying to, to, you know, get stronger on the uphills or run tangents better or or whatever it might be for you. And and certainly the things that it is for me, um, I think it's, it's, maybe important, or at least, at least Bob telling that story got me thinking about, you know, especially on race day. And and maybe part of it is, is that it's, it's really, you know, you really want to hammer on race day. Um, but like, what are the areas of strength? You know, is it a long, steady, monotonous flat, uh, that that you're strongest in that I'm strongest in? It's not for me for the record, but, but you know, what areas am I the most strong in and really trying to, to get after it in those sections during a race? You know, if I, if I feel strong on a downhill, maybe not on a, on a downhill, the whole 26.2 or 13.1, but if there's a downhill early in the race, how, how comfortable am I to just open it up and go, even though it's in mile three. Now, you know, it might only be for a quarter of a mile or half a mile or whatever, but if I'm comfortable with that downhill section, like go for it instead of trying to stick to got to pace, got to go slow, got to go, you know, keep it easy here. Like, yes, ultimately that's what we want to do in the early sections of a race. Or at least that's what I want to do in an early section of a race for myself. But, you know, if I've got this area where I feel strong and, and where I feel like I can really, you know, do something, not a bad idea to take advantage of it. Not a bad idea to take advantage of it. So I, I don't know if that, if that clicks for you or if that, if that makes zero sense, probably, probably the latter. Uh, but my takeaway today was definitely just that reminder that, you know, on race day, especially, if there's, if there's a part of the course, whether it's a technical section, flat, up, down, whatever the case might be, if there's a section that you that, that really kind of is your sweet spot, at least is my sweet spot, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. It's race day. Let's, let's get after it on the areas where you're strongest um, and then do the best you can on the areas where you, you struggle a little bit more. So that was my takeaway, to be, to be aggressive at the right part of the race for me 
that which may not always be the end or the middle or whatever, but where is that section of the course that's that's my sweet spot? And in that spot, we want to we want to go. We want to make hay while that sun is shining, if you will. So that was my takeaway. Again, probably more convoluted than it needed to be, but uh, it, it did something in my brain. Maybe it did something in your brain as well. Maybe there was a different section, a different story that Bob shared that really stood out to you. If there is, and you're willing to share it, I would love to hear it. As always, Diz runs on Twitter, Diz, or I guess Diz runs on X, since since that's the world we live in, this world we live in. Diz runs on X, Diz runs on Instagram, Diz runs on Threads. Uh, any of those places that you want to share your takeaways, feel free to do so. I'd love to hear it. Uh, you can also shoot me an email. That's not changing anytime soon. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe maybe Google's going to decide to change. You know, to the, the domain of, of Gmail. I don't know. We'll see. And as long as it's staying the same, Dizruns at gmail.com will get you to my email inbox. Uh, a little bit of a black hole, but you can always send an email there, and I'll I'll try to get back to you with uh, my thoughts. But share your takeaways there. Of course, you can also head over to the uh, show notes for today. Dizruns.com slash 1180. We'll get you there. Dizruns.com slash 1180. Some good photos from Bob from back in the day. Some links, of course. And obviously that comment section down there at the bottom. Dizruns.com slash 1180 to share your feedback via the website. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Also, a reminder, if you, if you head over to the website or if you if you're, you know, just need a reason to do so, Get yourself into the giveaway if you haven't done so already. Uh, seriously, I mean, there's there's worse things. I think I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. There's worse things that could that you could get in life than a chance to work with me for free for 16 weeks. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe not a lot worse than that, <laughs> but at least some people might say that. I don't know. Uh, but I feel like I feel like that's a decent prize for the, the low low entry entry price of free. So. Check it out, disruns.com slash giveaway. If you haven't done so already, disruns.com. You can also enter from the homepage. One way or the other, get yourself in it. Have a chance to win it. Next winner coming up uh, in just a couple weeks from this when this episode drops. Uh, actually, less than that. Ten days from when this episode goes live. So get yourself in it uh, before September 1st for the next drawing. And, you know, there'll be another drawing on October 1st and November 1st and so on and so forth. So whenever you listen to this, get yourself entered into the giveaway, disruns.com slash giveaway. And with that... We'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking Bob and I with you today. Hope you enjoyed some of those stories from uh, back in the day, back in the, the early days of uh, you know, the running boom in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, I loved it. I could, I could talk to Bob and listen to his stories all day. Hope you enjoyed it. Maybe we'll do it again at some point. Uh, but until next time, y'all, be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.